Welcome to the Settle Asian Real Estate Podcast. We're here to help individuals start, grow, and expand in real estate who've never had the experiences or the connections uh, to get started. So without further ado, I wanted to give a big warm welcome to Ang Tang, one of our own members. Uh, he's a CEO and founder of Toads Capital, or Tozy Capital, and he's an uh, experienced uh, real estate investor with about $100 million in assets under management uh, from his company. Uh, he's got a background in, uh, as an economist uh, from uh, the Warren School of Business. He's also got experience running uh, data science and analytics teams at Apple, Capital One, and AT&T. <clears throat> so he's got that classic immigrant story where he came uh, and was born in a refugee camp from Thailand whilst keeping the Khmer Rouge and then uh, finding a lot of success in the U.S. through STEM fields. Uh, so Aang, uh, he mostly focused on cash flow investments uh, and providing passive income to investors by acquiring and optimizing multifamily senior living facilities and Bitcoin mining, which is something that's kind of new, actually, um, that you guys can ask him about. But uh, I, I won't cut him off for too much longer. Uh, he's got a quick presentation to give. And then after that, uh, we do a quick Q&A. So hope that works, everyone. Thanks, Nelson. All right, so I'm gonna today. I'm gonna talk about opt-in zones. I'll try to run through this fairly quickly because uh, I've presented this many times. I'll probably bore myself, um, but I wanted to, you know, highlight some of the really interesting advantages and sort of the time-bound nature of of this presentation. Um, and I'll try to highlight that. Give some examples, and then we can go to Q and A's. Love to talk about taxes. Love to talk about real estate investing, OZs, Bitcoin mining, whatever it is. Um, so we'll talk about, um, introduce myself, could talk about OZs, what is an OZ, why you should invest in OZ and the history of OZs, which I think is important given um, the administration and the current changes and potential changes that could happen with tax law and et cetera. So as Nelson said, I have a background in economics. I have a very various um, experiences with different jobs and roles and professions. I like to say I've had at least seven careers, uh, very different amongst all these. Uh, um, and I've been investing in real estate really since the beginning. You know, investing in real estate as an investment maker, investing in real estate as a product manager, investing in real estate as a data scientist. I have always invested in real estate. I always try to make time for it as a passion. And more recently, I've started Toza Capital, or I like to say Tozi, but I think the correct pronunciation is Toza. I, 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 don't, I wouldn't know. Um, so my wife came with that name. It means investment, invest, to invest, capital in Mandarin. Uh, and my focus if you wanted, is, yeah, what? If, if you want me to Mandarin explain it, it's uh, Toza. So, Toza, yeah. Right, I'm trying to create an app, uh, and and she 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 created like a new logo instead of the little triangles. It's it's an app that kind of takes the traditional form into, and it's hard to explain to you. <laughs> Anyways, I digress. Uh, so, a little bit about me. I grew up in LA. I bought my first triplex when I was 23, when I was in DC, so I was bought it out of state. Uh, I bought triplex and fourplex almost every year, every other year, and mostly in the LA region, um, until it just didn't become, it didn't make sense as an investment 
because I almost always invest for cash flow, not for appreciation. I have my stocks for appreciation and Bitcoin. Um, and yeah, I, I am the kind of investor who try to always optimize my assets and try to migrate to different regions. Um, and more recently in Kansas, Kansas City and Missouri and Georgia and Florida um, and to different asset classes. I think everyone should always consider um, just chase, you know, chasing yields is how you like to call it, but it's being flexible and nimble with the changing times and economies, um, especially if California cap rates get compressed and it doesn't make sense anymore. Um, and so what is an OZ for, for those who don't know, it's really, I'm going to talk about OZs as, as defines a real estate investment, although it doesn't have to be. But an opening zone is a uh, state-defined area, sort of like special economic zones, where if you build in these areas or you invest in these areas, you get certain tax benefits. Um, and the impetus of this was really to create economic revitalization in areas that need it. But that's not always the case because there are OZs in Seattle, in San Jose, in very rich areas, the new Googleplex is being built on an OZ. So it doesn't really make sense as like, this doesn't need revitalization, paying billions of dollars for that. Um, but that's sort of the genesis of it. The benefits of it is threefolds. One, when you sell a stock, and I'm gonna use it as a primary example, when you sell any asset that creates capital gains, which can be any asset, um, a business, real estate, when you sell a stock, you have to pay taxes on those capital gains. And the first benefit, it allows you to defer those gains uh, until December 31st, 2026. I'm actually talking to an investor tomorrow. He made a lot of short-term gains from GameStock, $1.8 million, he's told me. And he's gonna pay 40% on that, federal. So he can take that 1.8 million of profits uh, because most of his profits and invest that as capital gains into an OZ, not pay that 40% in short term now and then invest it and hold it for five years, get the second benefit, which is a reduction or step in cost base, a reduction of 10%. So for that person who would have paid um, X amount, you just pay 10% less of X in five years. I think the deferral is very powerful because if you're making 10, 12% a year, you're compounding that taxed amount and growing it. And so most of what we do in real estate is defer. We always try to defer taxes to the future until it's, you know, it's uh, until you pass away and then you don't have to pay it. Um, and then the final benefit is this tax-free reinvestment. Really, it's about all future capital gains that happens in the real estate itself or in the investment itself gets eliminated if you hold it for 10 years. And this is all future capital gains, including depreciation recapture. So depreciation is a benefit that you will get as investing in your real estate investment. To get all the normal benefits in normal real estate you would have to either attend an exchange and keep deferring those, those 
losses or those gains. Um, in this case, all those depreciation, all the capital gains, all the appreciation that happens gets eliminated. And so you don't have to pay any taxes when you sell for profit in 10 years. So three benefits, and I'll keep reiterating this point. You don't have to pay taxes going in. You pay taxes, you, you, you pay taxes, you pay those taxes five years from now, five and a half years from now, 10% less. And then if you hold it for 10 years, which is almost every OZ, you don't pay taxes going out. It's like a 401k and a Roth IRA. Um, and what's the eligibility here? Sell short-term and long-term gains, both stocks, businesses, and real estate. Have lots of investors who have all three. Some investors who've had some really good exits this year from their business um, are looking at these OZs as a way to defer those taxes. So why should you invest in OZ? I talked about these tax benefits. Let's try to make them more concrete. When you have a stock, for example, and I'm using this example as if you were work, you had RSUs from a company that you don't sell those RSUs and you make profit 100K in growth in two years. And you want to take that money and invest somewhere else and not just be singly uh, invested in that one stock you would have to pay taxes on those 100K, those gains. But so I'm taking two examples here. Investor A invests 100 gains from the RSU sale into a diversified pool of stocks, ETFs, index funds, whatever, um, or just buy other stocks. They would have to pay on a federal level, I'm just talking about federal taxes here, based on your um, income, depending on the income, 23.8% to 24% of taxes on that. Long-term capital gains, not talking about short-term. So you now start with 76,000. You grow at 15% over 10 years and you make 308,000. Great, that's investing. But you have to pay taxes on that exit, on those profits. So your return investment in 10 years is 2.5X. Not bad. Um, you can do better in real estate. So let's talk about real estate. Investing in OZ. When you take the 100K, you defer that, um, those taxes in the first year for five years. So then your, that tax amount is, you're able to compound and grow during the five and a half years of not paying those taxes. So then you defer that 24K, you pay 10% less. And that 15% same compounded growth turns from 100K to three. 83K minus those taxes, inclusive of that, that subtraction. And you don't have paid taxes going out. So the difference here is 2.5 RI versus 3.8. So it's, it's $130,000 difference over 10 years or 50% more benefit by investing in OZ, given the same compounded rate of return. Um, so if you look at the stock market, 15% is very aggressive. Uh, it might not look that way given what it's looked like for the last year. And if I rerun these numbers from February, 2011 to February, 2021, it would have, that 13.5 would have been lower. Um, but if you're investing in something like that, you know, if you're investing in real estate, typically you get a little bit better. Obviously, if you're investing in something like Apple stock or Tesla, it's, you, you, 
you get, um, you know, it's not necessarily a fair comparison to compare S&P. But real estate, generally, my experience has always, leveraged real estate has always returned more than stocks at a portfolio level. And so taking the 16% return, which is what uh, Tozi Capital offers in our investments, taking that difference between 13.5 versus 16, now you're looking at nearly double the return on a tax-adjusted basis. So why I'm highlighting this is, first of all, if the returns were similar, you still get 50% better returns just because of, of the tax savings. Um, but typically the returns aren't similar. And I think, first of all, I think you should invest in real estate in general, some of the tax benefits of it, the cash flow of the real estate is gonna be tax-free as well. So it's, I'm not even baking that in. So there's lots of ways to uh, make a lot more money in using real estate as an investment vehicle. Um, so that's um, OZ's. I'm happy to take a pause there and see if anyone has any questions on the mechanics or any specifics. Yeah, hang awesome. Thanks for the explanation. Uh, I think a bit in the nitty gritty of actually executing on investing in an OZ. So if you were to sell, let's say your RSUs, in that same, is there any limitations or uh, requirements to reinvest uh, your realized gains into the OZ? Now you can invest as much as you want to defer. If you've realized 60K, you could put 10K into an OZ. You could, if the sponsor allows you, you can invest half of it, you can invest all of it, right? My recommendation is always to not pay taxes. Put as much as you can to not pay taxes to invest. And, and another part of that is investing in OZ isn't necessarily just about paying taxes. It's about investing in a real estate investment that is a good investment by itself. Real estate investors typically have so many ways to not pay taxes that I don't think from my experience talking to other real estate investors, real estate sponsors, et cetera, they don't really care about OZs. They don't make a lot of money from stocks. They, they have millions of dollars from real estate and they don't pay taxes on any of it. So when I think about an OZ investment, I should, you should think about it first as a, is this a good real estate investment? Is this a good investment without tax benefits? I think the tax benefits is gravy on top. It's just amazing. And it's limited time as well. When you're talking about a fund or OZ fund, is that like a syndication or is that like a stock, like a mutual fund that, that we're thinking of? It's very much the same thing. It's, it's a syndication is a private stock, essentially. Um, uh, crowdfunding, you can call it that. It's a private placement. That's essentially how almost every major big piece of real estate gets bought. Very few people buy it individually in themselves or they have LPs in limited partners in the, um, so when I say talk about a fund, then I talk about Tozi Capital Fund, that's um, 50 to 70 investors who co-invest in a deal that I structure and I organize, I buy that I am, I'm an investor in and that we all co-invest in. We all get same benefits pro rata to your investment, all the same tax benefits, shared pro rata based on your investment. Um, and I, I do believe that, um, a fund is probably the better way to invest in OZs because uh, you, the mechanics of doing an OZ is you, the primary mechanic of qualifying for an OZ. And I talk about OZs and qualified opting zones. Qualified zones is very, it means that you, you're not only buying an opting zone, 
but you're putting 100% capital improvement, meaning if you're buying a piece of land and building and the land costs half a million and the, the building costs 500,000, you have to put $500,000 worth of improvements, essentially 100% of the capital costs into that to qualify as an option zone. Um, and then you have to pay $25,000 for upfront cost of accounting and then qualify it every uh, um, semi-annually, um, which is laborious and expensive on a variable cost basis. It's high if you're small. That's why if you get to a fund level with 10 to 15 million, that variable cost becomes a smaller percentage. So that's, that's probably why you want to do a fund and also why most invest, OZ investments are constructions. Doesn't have to be. There's other ways to get around that, but um, most of them are. I have a question. I heard you could also get tax. Um, you, you don't have to pay taxes on the distributions from uh, Opportunity Zone projects. Is that also, how do they structure it so you don't have to pay taxes on the rental income? Yeah, you typically don't have to pay taxes on income that you can offset with depreciation. And when uh, a building, say, let's talk about my um, project, we will have constructed it in 18 to 24 months. We'll start renting out. The first year we're renting out, we're going to have a cost tax study, which will give a outsized depreciation benefit uh, to investors. That will essentially wash out all future cash flow usually, um, in addition to the future uh, depreciation that you get. That depreciation is essentially borrowing gains from the future to, to reverse it as losses and then paying those gains in the future. None of it is you don't have to pay taxes on it anyways um, because you're doing the OZ. So yeah, in, in the OZ that I'm doing, you're gonna get 12% or 6% or whatever percent on a cash flow basis you're not going to pay taxes on it, that, but that's also true in most real estate deals. So uh, I don't know how you guys pay taxes. It's funny. <laughs> um, on these OZs, do you get to? So I live near in Orange County, Santa Ana is a, a opportunity zone city. Can I buy property in that city, and or do I have to develop something first before I acquire property to be in an opportunity zone? So if you buy it, it's in an opportunity zone, that's an opportunity zone, but it's not a qualified opportunity zone. That's what you need to invest in. You need to invest in a qualified opportunity zone. That qualification is 100% um, capital improvement, which is easily is done with uh, just a ground up construction. You can demolish it and build something on top of it. Um, so you, yes, you, a lot of people do OZs themselves. Usually I would recommend um, getting a tax attorney because there are a lot of nuance to the reporting. It takes around $25,000 to set up. But you can set up a QZ, QZF fund, Parathenolism fund. So yes, you can buy something in Santa Ana. You can develop it. And all your capital should be capital gains. And then you can make money off it. If you're a developer, this is probably easy for you. If you're not, you kind of going through a lot of lengths to just invest in your own thing. You said it costs 25000 to set up something as an opportunity zone? Um, that's not necessarily always the case, but from my experience with many, many CPA firms, to qualify an opportunity zone fund costs initially $25,000. And it's just an LLC. It's just an LLC that somebody's drafting up legal documents on. They're following um, a lot of forums with the IRS to make sure that when you're 
an investor or your or their owner claims this is a QZF, a Qualified Amazon Fund, that they don't have to pay taxes on it when they when they sell one point eight million dollars worth of GameStop stock and they make one point eight million dollars profit, they can say, "I invest in this QZF. Here's the EIN of that QZF. Go check with the whatever IRS, and that your your attorney has already qualified it." Um, history up zone. So Trump tax cuts gave us a really a lot of great uh, goodies. Bonus depreciation being one of them, opportunity zones being the other. Opportunity zones are really a bipartisan origination with census Tim Scott, Republican, and Cory Booker, Democrat, co-sponsors of this Investing in Opportunity Act. I want to highlight that because the new administration is, you know, Democratic um, and from my tea leaves of reading uh, my sources in Capitol Hill, they will likely not touch this, touch any of the tax laws for a while. They'll, they'll keep focusing on the pandemic and stimulus and uh, social justice um, for now. Um, but if they were going to change anything about this act, they might make it where um, they might make it where they put more justice requirements. When I say justice grants, I mean um, like social justice requirements, which is very ambiguous. Um, but ultimately why that might be the case is because most OZs end up just being uh, dazzling sky rises and triple A, you know, multifamily family and hotels. It's not really buildings and developments that are supposed to revitalize a community. <laughs> That's what makes money. Uh, the history of OZs is an interesting one. Sean Parker was uh, ex-president of Facebook and founder of Napster, was instrumental in the lobbying of OZs. One of my good friends is a lobbyist, and he told me that they spent $16 million. He spent $1 million personally, which is very cheap to save billions of dollars of taxes. It's great. This is what you should do if you have money, lobby the government. And so recode article here, it says, um, you know, new hotness for tech billionaires and really just for the one percent in Silicon Valley, which is where it affects most people who make a lot of money in stocks and have a lot of capital gains. Um, now there's a place for you to defer these gains, just like real estate investors. Real estate investors who have gains from real estate can use tenter exchange. Here, you can just put in OZ, defer him. Not as good as elimination, but defer is amazing. That's why we do foreign case. That's why we do health savings plans. We want to defer our taxes so we can compound it and grow it now. So some important facts about OZs, conformity. If you're in California, which I am, it does not conform, which means you still have to pay California taxes on capital gains, which is tax at ordinary income, which for me is 13%. That sucks. Can't get around it. Um, unfortunately, it's too nice here. And I think I'll miss Asian food if I moved down. <laughs> um, uh, but there's other states that do conform. So if anybody who's investing in California invests in OZ and they tell you you can avoid paying California taxes, they are lying to you. They are just trying to sell you. Um, but lots of other states you can. So I'm mostly talking about federal taxes early on. If you're thinking about tenter exchange as an alternative, if you're selling real estate, I, I like to highlight there are differences, but sometimes it's better to do an OZ, sometimes it's better to do a tenter exchange, 
they essentially net you similar benefits, which is a deferral of taxes. And if you do it right, an elimination. Um, one of the things with 10 exchange, if you guys don't know about it, it's essentially you keep deferring it. And when you pass away, your heirs uh, get inherit the property at fair market value so that the cost basis, which has been depreciated to zero potentially, and your asset value being like 5 million, now you have 5 million potential capital gains if you've ever sold it, but you pass away, your heirs are getting a, uh, a 5 million cost basis. And so you're, you, they're getting $5 million of asset value for $5 million cost basis, netting a zero uh, taxable um, event. Um, so up until it's not as good as that, but it's much more flexible. If you sell it properly for a million dollars and your cost basis is 900,000 and you have $500,000 of proceeds, which means you're getting $500 cash, you have to put that $500,000 into the next property to, to qualify a tenant on exchange, but you only need to put in 100,000 of profits into an OZ. You can do whatever you want with the other 400,000. So it's a little bit more flexible. So it really depends on the percentage ratio. I like to think around 25% is, if, if, you're, if you're, um, you sell is like 25% profit, then tenant on exchange makes sense. If it's less, unless you find something really good, OZ probably makes a little bit more sense, at least for flexible use of capital. That's that's presentation. Can you go back to that last slide? I had a question. You said the 25% and below profit, you would recommend a 1031 exchange and 25% above opportunity zone. Is that what you, sorry, I misunderstood that. Um, so the concept here is if you have a lot of profits, it's better to do a tender exchange because uh, when the profits is the capital gains. With a 10 exchange, you have to take the whole million, the whole cost basis, the whole profit and the, the cost basis, meaning the, the base value, and move it to, to the next property. Um, in an OZ, you just need to take the profit. If the profit is very, is a big portion of the proceeds, meaning the, the sell you know, minus your loans, um, then it makes a lot of sense to do 10 exchange because it's a much better vehicle to offset taxes. But if it's only a small fraction, like 10%, 5%, it's not worth it to do a 10 exchange to save taxes on 50,000, 60,000. Now let's just take the $50,000 of profit, capital gains, invest in OZ, take the other like $400,000 of proceeds maybe you made that you, you have equity in that you've put as a down payment and invest in something else. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Now, what if you've already, so I have quite a few properties that I've done 1031 exchanges on. Um, and I understand what you're saying. The, every time I do a 1031, that's my principal plus my rehab plus yes. my resale. It's the yep. entire resale amount that I had to put. It doesn't matter what I should yeah. So if I've done a 1031 and now I'm exiting that 1031, at that point, I could choose to um, go into an opportunity zone or do I, once I start that passive 1031, I had to stay in 1031 with that money. What would happen if I'm already in a 1031 that I'm exiting? You have always have the possibility to pay taxes or go into opening zone or tender exchange. Um, uh, the tender exchange from a tender exchange means you probably have depreciated your cost basis significantly. You yes. probably owe a lot of taxes. So it probably makes sense to do a tender exchange to continue the tender exchange. If you're essentially you have so much profits because your cost base is so low because you took that depreciation, right? Depreciation is essentially reducing the cost basis. Um, so for you, I would likely probably advise just keep 
during that tenth exchange cycle. Got it. That's a fair point. On opportunity zone, is there anything that it has to be um, long-term capital gains or short-term applies? It can be both short-term and long-term. And so opportunity zones, I want to talk about timelines. I should probably have a timeline slide here. Tenth exchange, you have 180 days, 45 days to identify, 180 days to acquire. Opting zones, typically it's 180 days from capital event, meaning sell stocks, sell business, sell real estate, to then invest in OZ fund. The OZ fund has 31 months to then invest in QZB, qualified option business. That's the technical definition of the asset that is qualified as an option business. The fund is an investment layer that puts in the money. Um, uh, that's 180 days usually. So if you sold today, you have six months to then put into QZF, Carfin Amazon Fund. But the very interesting thing and why I want to talk about this presentation today is the IRS shut down for COVID last year and they made a special rule and exception to extend that 180 days um, all the way till the end of this month. So if you sold stock, businesses, real estate, as far back as October 4th, 2019, till now, you can invest that capital gains if you pay taxes on 2019, file an amendment, get that money back. Invest the capital gains before the end of this month is really the, the deadline. Um, so you have an extremely long uh, window that expires this month. Um, that's right, I wanna bring this presentation up today. So if I have a bunch of GameStop that I just sold, where should I find Opportunity Zones projects to invest in? Um, go to uh, www.tozycapital.com uh, and uh, that I have Opportunity Zone projects right now. Uh, we have three senior living facilities in Florida, but I don't like to hawk my own product all the time. There are so many ways to look for Opportunity Zone um, uh, investments. One of the primary ways is potentially CrowdStreet. They have some opening zones. I think there's a bunch of other, you can check to Google it. Um, there was actually an OZ pitch, pitch day two days ago. They asked me to pitch. I don't like to be a commodity with other pitchers, so I declined. Um, uh, but yeah, it is, I'm happy to refer it. If you don't like the asset class that I have, I'm a very connected industry, so I can refer you to other asset classes. If you still stocks today, you have until 180 days to decide. I have a question. Are most of your clients mainly um, short-term stock buyers? Because long-term will have 15% capital gains tax. So GameStop or Bitcoin day trading for less than a year. Um, most of my investors are uh, have short-term. Uh, so they're active traders that are deferring those gains. Um, but for the long term, if you're making a certain amount, you also also have the social security tax and federal is 20%, so it's 23.8. Yes, the if you're not making that much, 15% is, is the tax rate. Um, but yeah, most, I think it's around 70% short term, 30% long term. Awesome, thanks. Can you, sorry, can you clarify with the deferment? Um, say you have, stocks and then you're looking to invest it into something else are you saying that you need to invest it into real estate or ozone or, or oz oz to um get that deferment or you, it's any sort of investment 
So I clearly failed at clarifying what an OSE is. Um, uh, to gain the benefits of investing in crowdfunding opposition zone funds, you have to invest in the crowdfunding opposition fund. Sorry. Um, yeah, I'm actually, I probably misstated my question. The, what you were saying was deferring any capital gains. If I had short-term stocks to sell, mm -hmm. um, does that apply to, like, can I reinvest that in any other sort of investment to, for that deferral? I think we're saying the same thing. Are, we, are you saying that if you had short-term capital gains, you can invest in anything else to defer it? Yes, that's right. Uh, when you create, when you sell, when you have gains, that's realized gains, you could neutralize that with re realized losses. So that's different strategy. Um, but if you if you're investing that into anything else besides an OZ, you don't get a deferral benefit. Got it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I follow up to that, um, your clarification on investing in a fund to take advantage of the benefits. Does that mean that um, if I have some capital gains that I wanted to defer, I can't just go out and go buy a triplex, quadplex to defer? I have to invest in a fund first? No, you can certainly invest in a triplex, quadplex, but you still have to have a fund that then invests in the QZB. So some technical definitions, QZ, Qualified Operating Zone Fund, QZB, Qualified Operating Zone Business. Every real estate essentially is a business. Um, some QZBs aren't even real estate, so you don't even have to invest in real estate, but I won't go into those because it's a little complicated. Uh, if you want to have your own, you can. I know some very rich people who invest, set their own funds, and then they invest in craft and own businesses, uh, real estate mostly, almost always. Um, and so, you, you, but you need to qualify it. So you buy triplex, you had to put 100% capital improvement, which means usually a complete gut job and demolition or a ground up construction. Got it. So I got some stocks as part of my work compensation last year. Mm -hmm. They show up on my W-2. In that case, it will not qualify it, right? So you're talking about a vested stock, um, not a, an appreciated stock. When you get stock as a comp form of compensation, RSUs, whatever it is, um, that is taxes ordinary income. And yeah. they say they were going to give you $100,000 of stock. They will sell 40% of that stock right away, give you $60,000. So you pay taxes on it. So you don't have to pay taxes again. You just got a lot less than what they promised you. Yeah, that already happened. So darn. Thank so you. Any, any appreciation that happens after you get it, that's mm -hmm. capital gains. Great. Then it's Thank not realized you. until you sell it. Can you walk us through one, one of your deals? Sorry, can you walk through one of my deals? Just show us an example of what the opportunity zones look like and what your, you know, example of 16% IRR. And what you look for when uh, you think deals are going to fail. I'll take the first question. Um, yeah, so uh, one of our deals is a up, uh, senior living investment. And I like senior living because of the 10-year horizon of opting zones. Um, I think in 10 years, the chronic shortage of senior living facilities will um, mean the valuation of the property would be much higher. Uh, so one of our investments is it's, it's investing in a Jacksonville senior living development where a lot of old people are, a lot of wealthy old people are who can afford four to five thousand dollars 
a month in rent, essentially, for all-inclusive senior living facility where they get taken care of in assisted living. The average tenure of a, uh, of a, um, a tenant is around 26 months. Uh, then they pass away. Um, but they usually come in with full cash because that's how much they have. They know they can't afford it. We know we, they, um, we built without partners 30 of these. I have personally not built 30 of these. My partners have. Um, and it should be built in um, required land already. We we're starting to break ground next month. It'd take 12 to 14 months to break ground. Take another six to eight months to lease up. Start paying the investors at the end of year two. In this case, you have two options, uh, 12%, meaning you get 1% a month. Uh, so if you invest $100,000, get $1,000 a month for eight years, tax-free. Uh, and then you get uh, uh, capital gains at the end from the accrue of the first two years. Second option, 6% a year pay quarterly, but you get accrued another 10%, so 16% um, is the return. So a little bit less cash, more back-ended, around 112% capital gains in addition to your capital return um, at the end of 10 years. So th those, are, when I look at option zones in the market right now, the range of returns is usually 12 to 16% um, because construction usually has a longer time window to answer Nelson's question, what's the biggest risk of these OZs? It's really development. Development, I don't, I don't love developments. I, I think there's a lot of moving pieces to developments. Um, if it's not an OZ, I don't know why I would do a development unless it, it's something that we, it's like a cookie cutter development where you build it over and over again, which is why I like these things because I'm building like four of them. Um, so that's, uh, and, and the, and the um, delay is really the biggest factor, but that's not that big a factor if you're, you have a 10 year horizon of investing. What is the minimum investment for something like that? So I like to make sure that um, these OZs are really a favor for our investors who um, I always advocate don't pay taxes or defer taxes as much as possible. So for us, I'm putting a very low minimum, 10,000. Uh, we have a lot of irregular investment amounts because I just say, put in your full capital gains, don't pay any tax. Some people would put 463. 1,000, 60,000, some people with 77,000, some people only have $15,000 capital gain. So just defer as much as you want, defer as much as you have to defer. It's a good investment regardless. It's investment that's comparable to a lot of other non-OZ investments. Non-OZ investments are shorter windows. So that's a pro there. 10 years is a long time, but you get so many tax benefits during those 10 years. So when we, when we go to Bitcoin mining. Hey, and, um... I just a quick question about um, you said the qualified opportunity zone fund needs to invest in a business within what was that window? 31 months. 31 months. So within that time that they have to start. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and the business can be real estate, which is almost always real estate. Right. Uh, so there's a lot of windows here. Like you could actually put your money into a fund and if you're so indecisive about where you want to invest it. It's just sitting there in a fund. You can not invest it for 31 months and then, you know, that, that it's just not productive, but, it, and right. but you have a long window. Cool, thanks. Are and, there any requirements for your investor or is it anybody with money? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, get to know us, 
go on our website, talk to Ryan and me. Um, happy to chat. Um, so if you're asking if we take a credit on the, um, not always. So some sophisticated. Okay. Uh, Good to know. I was going to say something else. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, have any other questions? And I just want to say that I, I wasn't part of the whole uh, meeting, but I really appreciate that uh, the content that you have presented. I'd uh, love to connect with you, uh, maybe on LinkedIn or something. Uh, love to learn more. Yeah, happy to connect, guys. I'm going to put my uh, connect email on chat and my website where you can you. just access all of our investments. Um, and one thing I wanted to highlight is this five-year rule um, is hard-coded to end in 2026, which means if you're investing in 2022, January 1st, 2022 in an OZ, you don't get a 10% reduction in your capital gains. You still get everything else. You get the deferment. You have a 10 years, you get that. If you invest after December 31st, 2026, meaning 2027, in an OZ, if they're still around, you don't get the first two benefits. You just get the 10-year benefit. That 10-year benefit expires 2040, 2041. These are all dates I had to remember because I've known more about OZs than most CPAs, as I find out, because I had to keep telling them about stuff. Form 84949, it's lots of different forms you have to file, but it's rather simple from an investor perspective. It's a form where you essentially putting a sort of like um, you schedule D or C or one of those where you where you put your gains that you made sell Google stock game stock whatever in the same in the line below the amount of gains that you want to put into profit Amazon fund the EIN that's it now you you claim you've made this much money and you claim you invested that much money into an OZ and if you invested in 20 if you have so many gains in 2019 or 2020 you have until the end of this month to get that really long window. So take advantage of it because it expires um, uh, March 31st, after March 31st. And will you be doing another uh, presentation like next week or something or, or in the next session? Um, it's up to Nelson to invite me. What, what, what topic are you like to talk about? Big time funds? <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like today was, was it was a great learning. It's, it's eye opening, it's, it's very cool. So, uh, yeah, I'm always happy to, to talk about sharing information. I know, um, you know, one thing I try to do is be very focused on education and value. And that's how I connect with Nelson. He's very similar. Um, it's really taking experiential learning because I think there's so many people, CPAs, um, syndicates, whoever, who hasn't experienced it as much as the person paying a lot of taxes. You're paying a lot of taxes. You you are very motivated to not pay as much as you. You would know more than your CPA at times, and you should. You should. I've read half the stimulus package. There's a lot of goodies. Try to figure out how to get advantage, take advantage of it. The last stimulus package took lots of great PPP loans. I got forgiven. Right. These are all things that you gotta be very self-aware of. That there's laws and codes of the tax system that is written there to help investors, help um, uh, businesses and real estate as a business, uh, you know, defer, 
reduce the taxes. And who, you know, for congressmen and, and senators, the vast majority of them are real estate investors. Very few of them, none of them are Apple employees, W-2 employees. They, they're very self-interested. That's just human nature. So follow the self-interest of very wealthy, very powerful people and the laws they make and just copy them. There's so many other ways to do this. It's great. One more question. You mentioned March 31st, and I apologize. I had to jump to another thing for a second. Did you say that by March 31st, we can any gains that we've had in the last couple of years, I can still put into an opportunity zone? From October 4th, 2019, if you sold Google stock, Tesla stock, which probably bad timing then, but uh, you sell stock and you make a lot of gains in 2019, that October 4th, until now, you can defer those. So normally it's 180 days, right? So 180 days from October 4th, 2019 is, is early 2020. But because of this new rule, this provision, one-time provision ends end of this month. So in a, let's say, let's just for a hypothetical, in November of 2019, I sold something, I made 200K profit, I paid taxes on it, and 2020 I filed my taxes and you know it was all taken care of. Mm -hmm. So to, if I wanted to have that 200K applied into an OZ today, I would have to do a, an amended return for 2019. You would have to not only invest that capital gains, and it doesn't have to be like a trace capital gains, it's just be cash that you just yeah, yeah. capital gains, and then file the amendment, yeah, and then get taxes back. Might but, take a while. So, but at least for 2020, anything even in January of 2020, because we, you know, like most people- You haven't filed your taxes yet, so- Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. But that's only till March 31st, just because of this. Now, what is the formal, like, is it signing a letter of intent that I'm investing March 31st or money has to leave my account by March 31st? It's what the sponsor claims in the form. So usually it's leaving your account or the signature of it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, so it's usually leaving your account. Okay, good to know. So I'm already on your site registered. So. <laughs> yeah. Is this recorded? Is it recorded? We could change it to like dates and it's. <laughs> yeah, we'll I, I was actually doing a lot of K ones and like essentially what I gotta do is ask in the survey. I get asked when did you have your gains? When you know? So because we have to qualify it to the IRS that all of our investors are are qualified on capital. In fact, most OZs and my OZ, we just won't take any uh, non-capital gains. Even though we could up to ten percent, it's just too messy to divvy up and to um, uh, to qualify. So it's, it's cleanest if it's all qualified options on uh, capital. Actually, I do have a question about that. Um, what you were saying before. So for the capital gains, say for example, you've already reinvested that multiple times, and at this point, um, since two thousand nineteen, you're not even sure which one like. I guess you would have to just trace it back every year to what your capital gains were and just aggregate that. And then that would be what you would be um, investing into the OZ. Is that? I, I think the best way we would do it would be if it was for 2020, you're, you're doing taxes anyways, you're going to uh, file schedule D or C, I keep forgetting. Um, one of those schedules where it'll net out the net capital gains. So you have losses, gains, hopefully it's mostly gains and you take the net and you just take the amount that you know. It doesn't have to be traced to that exact investment. It can be the latest, right? Last in, last out rule. 
can be the short-term gains of it. You can pick and choose. You want to pick, pick and choose the most advantage one. Um, it doesn't have to be the same cash. It's just, you're just showing that you owe taxes here. You're deferring taxes here. Literally, the forms are like right next to each other. And for those who don't have gains and would like to take advantage of this once in a lifetime, once in a, uh, a, a benefit, and you have unrealized gains from your appreciation of Tesla stock or Apple stock, whatever, and you like to hold onto that stock, but you have cash in the sidelines that isn't capital gains, you can realize the gains by selling it and buying it the same day, same hour, same minute, and neutralizing it, essentially creating your realized gains, moving to the cost basis, meaning that when you sell in the future, you don't have to pay taxes on it. Now you have a bunch of capital gains, which is like ridiculous. Why would you do that? Because now your cash that you're sitting on the sideline, now it can be qualified capital gains and then invest into uh, OZ. So you can realize unrealized gains to create capital gains to, to invest in OZ without having to lose the position of stocks that you want to hold. That's so smart. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Now this watch rule is only applied for when you sell for a loss. When you sell for a gain, there's no watch rule. George, if you're talking, you're mute. Oh, I was saying I saw a hand up, but I think the hand is no longer up. Um, and, and so and another thing with these OZs is um, with any real estate, any fun real estate, any um, syndicate real estate, whatever you want to call it, when you buy it, if it's not, it's already constructed, you would get a cost X study. So I want to highlight that because I just did a cost X study on a $24 million building. That $24 million building, um, I argue that the land value is 5%. I can do that because it's not in California. <laughs> um, even though they said 15%, so now nah, let's move to five. That allows me to take more losses so that essentially 24% of my purchase price is a one year one loss. And my leverage was 76%. Leverage does not take uh, does not participate in depreciation, meaning 100% of capital participated in 100% depreciation. The capital equity was only 24%. So I got a one-to-one -one loss on my investment. So every dollar I put in, I get a $1 loss that I can use to defer gains from cash flow and other uh, passive income from real estate mostly. Uh, if unless you're a real estate professional, which is what I am or what my wife was last year and allowed my W2 income to be neutralized to zero on federal level, so I had to pay California taxes. Can't get rid of are, you, are you investing in just uh, commercial or do you also do residential investments? I invest in everything that can make money. Nice. And that have, that have significant tax advantages. Right. They have great cash flow. Um, residential, when you try and define residential as single family or triplex, quadplex, duplex, right, right. They, are, they, they, they move on sales comparable, meaning what your neighbor sell it for will dictate what you will sell it for. And that is on market uh, trends with the current market being what it is. It's a good time to be residential for sure. If you're in the right market, it's a great time, right? It doesn't matter that the rents are going down in LA, rents are going down in San Francisco. Rich people have money. Rich people have more money. The stimulus is printing more money. Rich people will have more money. The market is going up. Capital is flowing. It's like the gravy train right now. 
um, not gonna last forever, but that means every asset's inflating. Every asset's going up. All my real estate that I bought last year is up 10%. Great. Yeah. If I leverage it 80%, it's, I made nice. 50% cash. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Is I'm more familiar with residential at the moment, but how how difficult is it to get into commercial in terms of getting uh, financing, um, getting permit zoning if you want to build yeah. something? Construction is a little bit different and definitely more complicated. It's a little bit taller order. I won't necessarily go into it that much because it is um, it's something that I rely on more of my contractors, my partners, my, my um, folks who have a lot more experience in. Res commercial loans are vastly simpler than residential loans. And take it somebody who's got about 12 residential properties, three houses, about this house last year, another house that I was going to live in forever three years ago. The rule should be you always get as short of an arm as possible. <laughs> um, not get that you fix. Uh, and, and it's been horrendous every time I got a refinance or and I refinance like each one of these like at least two times. Because, you know, why not pull the equity, borrow 3%, invest at 10, 12, 15, 16. That's how you make money. That's how you compound and grow your wealth over time. Um, you do bird method, whatever it is. That's what I've done. Um, create value. You create value with commercials too. It's same concept, except that it's more controlled value. Um, residential is a pain to ask to get. If you're, they're essentially going to underwrite you as an individual, underwrite you as your income. And if you're not working, it's difficult. But your W 2 is very powerful. That's what you're leveraging. You're leveraging your W 2 when you purchase residential assets. You can you get max up 10 mortgages. There are alternatives to get above 10. Some banks only lend five at once. Wells Fargo comes to mind. I've definitely had to, to pay down a loan to just get another loan because they like limit to five quantity. So I like a loan for 126,000. I want a loan for 1.2 million. It's like, okay, I want to get to 1.2 million at 2% rate, amazing. Um, commercial loans, they don't care about what you make. They don't care. They, what I've done for commercial loans, I've given my ID, given sometimes I give my tax records, give my personal financial statement, which I mock up in Excel, just like, mm, how much is this worth? How much do I have? I think I have this much. No one double checks. And then they give me a $6 million loan. Amazing. Because they care about the asset and the asset makes money. They don't care about what you make. They care that the property makes enough money to pay for the loan. Is it possible to get a commercial loan for um, uh, like a single family house or duplex? Yes. I love RE, but I mean, uh, residential. How would you do that? You get a portfolio loan. So um, usually the fine line between residential and commercial is five units, commercial, yes. four units, residential. Um, you can buy, you can package three single family and call it commercial loan, call it a portfolio of, uh, of something. So you can, you can package it up. Here's the thing with lenders, they want to go big. Everybody wants to go big. It's the same amount of work. It's, it's a little bit more work, but it's same, roughly the same amount of work doing a half million loan versus a five million loan. Did you want 1% loan commission on that or 1% on that? They, they, they hate small loans. And the people who do small loans are new. Anyone good, going to go big. Same thing with property management. You're managing a, a single family, a triplex. Like you get, 
you're at a match 100 unit building where you can just like walk around and or have like a system or a you know, technology solution to get the rent then manage that right and your variable cost is going to go lower so instead of paying nine percent property management fees you're paying four to six maybe some personnel costs if it's enough scale it's all about variable cost and scale and so with loans same thing i've i've had i had times where banks would say no that's too small like it's, I had I had a project where I was buying three retail centers. It was like two years ago. Um, these three retail centers were 1.8 million, 2.5, and 3.5, 3.3 million actually. I was trying to find loans for each one of them because they were separate sellers. Then I realized, what if I just package this up and cross collateralize it, and then all my options just opened up. My rates dropped by one point. I I could get 80% leverage. I was like, what like people want to give you more money. They don't want to work so hard to give you a little bit of money. So that's my little rant. So, so can you elaborate a, lot, a little bit on that? So what you're saying is as long as you have the down payment, right? So like, is it the 25% on commercial loan? And then you can get, you can leverage the other uh, 75 through whatever commercial loan. Sorry, I, I was confused a little bit. What? So you're saying it's easy to get a, a large loan, like lenders want to give you a large loan, right? It's so, easier. Yeah. So then how, how would you do that? As if you, you obviously have to save up the down payment, right? Yes, you need the down payment. Commercial loans usually range from either 65% leverage to 80% leverage. Um, multifamily, you can go even as high as 85. I've had HUD loans. Um, housing, urban development, and SBA loans that go up to 85 to 90%. So those are specialized loans for senior living facilities or businesses. Um, if you if you have an owner-occupied office uh, where you, you occupy like 50% of the building, you can get a 90% loan for a 3% rate. Oh, so great. These government loans, they're the best. Why, why wouldn't you want government loans? It's, it's the best thing, especially with debt being cheaper every year. Great hedging is inflation, that and Bitcoin. Uh, so, so you just said when you get your commercial loan qualified, they just care that your asset can make money. So that means the asset can make a certain amount of rental income, is yeah, that correct? Yeah. So, so, so they care about this uh, number figure uh, called DSCR, debt service coverage ratio. Debt service coverage ratio is NOI divided by debt service, meaning net operating income, how much money you make post-tax, post-expenses, post-vacancy, post-everything. And they usually calculate 7% vacancy loss, even though you might be 100% occupied. Um, they, they calculate taxes, they calculate insurance, everything. NOI divided by debt service, means how much do you pay in principal and interest? And if it's a one, that means you pay the same amount and you're paying the same amount. I mean, your cash flow is zero. You're making no money. And in California, it's usually less than one. It's usually you buying from appreciation. You're not really getting cash flow. So banks for commercial properties, some commercial properties, not all the time. That's why you have bridge loans. They look and they want a 1.25. That means that it will have 25% buffer to debt service. That means if your occupancy goes down a little bit, you can still pay it. Most of my buildings are at two. I have twice the income to debt service, so I can get an extremely high leverage. And if I'm buying for not for as much cash flow, for more for appreciation, I can't get as much leverage. 
because my cash flow position isn't as strong, so I can't get the really high loan. So when I buy for cash flow, I can almost always get 75 to 80% leverage on commercial property and then get cost seg studies and all that stuff to not pay taxes or defer my taxes. Okay, there's a question in the chat room. So we're over on time. So let's take this as the last question and then wrap things up here with thing. Uh, so any question from Vincent, if I invest passively into an OZ through a fund and I later want to actively invest in an OZ, what options do I have to transfer my investment from the fund towards my own investment? Um, so it would depend on the sponsor. You can always exit if your sponsor lets you that potentially says uh, selling your shares to somebody else, probably the sponsor. Yeah, usually I offer, if somebody wants to exit and they have a life event, I can buy the shares. It's a negotiation, they're not gonna appraise the value. But when you exit a fund, um, an OZ fund, you actually have 12 months to then find another OZ. So you can actually do that. Usually what happens is somebody sells the whole OZ, maybe five years, and, and then you have a capital event. And you then, uh, instead of the fund doesn't dissolve, the QZB gets sold, that gets profits go into the fund. The fund goes and finds another QZB and invests in that and now extends it. They have 12 months to do that. So then all that time is still the 10 year clock is running. So you can do that and uh, to get that thing. It's more complicated. I don't see a lot of people pitch it like that, but it's possible. Okay, awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time and your, sharing your knowledge with us, Ang. Really appreciate it. No problem, guys. All right, take care, everybody. Take care. Thanks, Ang.